Hello, welcome to another Orthopod. I'm here with two friends and colleagues uh, from Argentina, uh, Dr. Martin Butaro and Dr. Pablo Slulitel. Uh, Dr. Butaro is the Associate Professor um, of Orthopedics and uh, Dr. Slulitel works as a consultant orthopedic surgeon, uh, both working in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Let me further also state that Dr. Butaro uh, has been integra integrally involved in a number of uh, statements that have come out, one particularly on resuming elective orthopedic surgery that was posted on OrthoEvidence. He also serves as the Secretary for the Argentinian Association of Orthopedic Surgery, representing at least 5,400 members uh, in that country. Wonderful to have both of you here, and thank you for taking a bit of time with us today. Thank you, Mohit. It's our pleasure. So let me start, Martin. You know, I know we've heard lots about um, COVID, uh, but tell me a little bit about the impact right now, as I'm sure uh, it has had. And with respect to resuming surgery, you, you were um, part of that large collaborative uh, document that came out recently. What's happening in Argentina, and specifically what's happening in Buenos Aires? Well, now in Buenos Aires, we work at a big hospital with 1,000 beds. And we prepare for the pandemic with a lot of time. We started in lockdown in the middle of the 20th of March. And we never operated just one case of positive COVID, not in orthopedics, not in general surgery, but our eight uh, operating rooms in orthopedics, uh, which accounts for two laminar flows, are reserved for COVID. So we never started using those operating rooms. We are operating in general surgery rooms and we have almost 75 um, COVID positives in our hospital, but the number is rising. Uh, last week we had 35 and now we have 72, but everybody started reoperating elective surgery like uh, three weeks ago. So now we have more cases, but we have already started with elective surgery. So that puts us in a situation that is not the ideal. Oh, absolutely. Um, where do you see this happening? So one, one, one um, question that we've been asking many surgeons is, when do you see yourself going back to pre-pandemic access to the OR? Um, Months, years? Uh, maybe months, yeah, I think so. I think the, the worst is about to come. They say in 15, 30 days from now. So I think that lasts another three or four months to start again all over. We, we used to operate like 30 hips a week, and now we are operating six elective surgeries and more or less four to five uh, urgencies. So let me ask you the question, what types of elective surgeries are getting through? Because the big challenge is there's a massive wait list, big backlog. How are you prioritizing which types of elective procedures you're doing? We are trying to operate the people who doesn't have big risks for these uh, operations. Right. But we also have revision surgery, for example, uh, acetabular protrusions, or for example, people who has a who has a spacer and cannot wait anymore. I operated this Monday uh, uh, a patient who has a spacer for eight months 
and and he couldn't wait anymore. So these are the kind of cases that we um, we call non-deferrable surgery, and unless they are not low-risk patients. Right. Let me ask you, Pablo, if I could. Um, are there patients right now, um, there are patients, for example, when we look at other countries and other um, epicenters, patients are just fearful. They don't want to go to the hospital. They don't want to be True. part of it. Are you also noticing that there are patients who otherwise might need surgery, but quite frankly, don't want to come to hospital for fear? And totally. what, do you, what do you think the impact of that is going forward? Well, to totally. Uh, I have to speak from my personal experience. I started uh, my practice. I was abroad uh, doing a fellowship actually in Canada, in Ottawa. So I started back my practice in January. So my list wasn't that big. I had around uh, a waiting list of around 22, 24 patients. And uh, I just, I, so far, I, I just could operate three or four. And I have two more in, in in about to operate next uh, mid-June, but the rest maybe they traveled back to their to their uh, towns or or uh, different provinces, and they are not able to come back here to Buenos Aires. So it's uh, really a mess for those people to mobilize and come back to to Buenos Aires. And there's some others who are really afraid, even young patients without risk risk factors. Uh, who are not willing to undergo surgery. So uh, at this point, I start depending on, on the new clinics that we have started opening in, in about kind of, per, uh, per, uh, I mean, uh, non-virtual non clinics. We're, we're kind of uh, uh, a bit tired about virtual clinics, but I personally need a real clinic in order to get in touch with patients to start kind of... Uh, booking new cases because my 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 prior booking list i uh, i kind of i'm in the, right now in the balance in between those who already want the surgery but are not in buenos aires and the others who are afraid so i need new patients actually if i want to keep on this route of going kind of uh back to electives yeah it's an interesting statement isn't it because in most situations we have such a large backlog uh, but I think there have been different things that have suggested why patients don't want to come in. Have either of you noticed, for example, a changing type of fracture or a changing pattern of injury? Uh, anything that's been different for you during this pandemic phase? Uh, we, have a, we have a big amount of patients in our own um, medical insurance that is called the patient from our hospital. And there is a big amount of, of old patients there. So we started to see a lot of patients coming from geriatrics uh, with, a, with a femoral neck fracture and, and some patients that maybe they have a, an indication for Gilderstrom procedure, which I have never seen like for the last 10 years. So that was impressive also. And concerning what Pablo said, Last week, I did what I think I was not going to do anymore. I called 10, 10 of my patients personally to, the, to their houses and explained that we, we were starting to operate again and they were listed for a total hip. And they say, no, I'm sorry, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not walking too much, so my pain is not too bad. So I, will, I, I would, want, would like to, to wait. 
See, that's impressive, right? That that's probably never happened to you in the history of your practice, never. right? <laughs> so for you have to call ten patients to say we have we have space. Now I only got one. There you go. <laughs> one in ten. That's actually a very it, it's funny, but in the US that's happening. In fact, um, in New York, in talking to one of the surgeons there, Dr. Tejwani, he said that a full 30% of patients do not want to come into hospital who need surgery. They just don't want to come in. So I think these experiences and shared experiences are very, very important. Pablo, you had said something uh, about femoral neck fractures and yeah. the, you know what's happening. Tell me a little bit about that. I know you're involved in the hip unit as well and trauma. Tell us what's happening with respect to hip fractures. Well, I, I was I was lucky at least if I couldn't operate electives, I had been exposed to a few uh, fractures this uh, during these days. So actually, and, uh, and this has to go uh, is a bit related to your paper about uh, bipolar or total hips. Actually, for active patients, we indicate total hip replacements if they are active enough and uh, they go to the market, they they live alone, they do their own stuff. Those elderly patients, we indicate total hips and we do monopolars for just uh, patients who are kind of uh, non-ambulatory. And uh, we've seen, I, I think our indication, because the, 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 the prevalence of fractures remain kind of the same, but I just did only one or two total hips of 40 or 50. So the rest were monopolars. And we've seen a lot of more fragile patients of the 20 that I operated, five or six passed away within two or three weeks for non-surgery non related causes. I mean, pseudo related. I mean, DVT uh, or uh, uh, kind of a respiratory issue. But I I've never seen that in my whole life. I mean, the, the, the percentage of casualties is, is really high. So I've read a paper from the Spanish group at uh, JVJS, and they said that uh, those patients that tested negative for COVID, they had around 10% mortality when compared to COVID positive that had around 30. Well, now our patients, I mean, our mortality rate in this time, I mean, it's, it's, it's around 15% for COVID negative. So I'm not sure if they are really COVID negative, right. if they are yeah. more fragile, Yes. If they are, I don't know what is happening, but they are dying. I know why. And that's something that we'll have to learn about. And I think research here is going to be really, really important. Let me just, if I could, end with this one question I'd, I'd like to ask, if I could, Martin. You, you started off this conversation saying, you know, the worst is yet to come and we're bracing for it. So have cases been slowly climbing? So are you not at the peak and coming down? Or, or, or do you feel you're early? Or are you more worried about a second wave that's coming? What, what, what's the concern? No, no, we, we didn't arrive to the peak yet. Okay, okay. So that's, that's the bad thing. It's not the second wave. We didn't right. arrive even to the first peak. Got it. So we've, you know, you're both aware that the WHO, World Health Organization, has labeled you know, South America as the epicenter, Brazil being uh, unfortunately so far behind and catching up that I think any measures they make now are going to be hard to keep them from the, from the exponential curve that seems to be going up tens of thousands of patients a day. Do you fear we that are, could, be, could that be happening for we you? Are absolutely, we, we have a, an absolutely different pol policy right. uh, with COVID in our country, but um, 
on the other hand, we are having more, much more cases than the, few, the, the, the previous weeks. Right. So it's going to happen. So right now, right now, is the hospital then kept at a certain capacity to allow you for the potential increase in COVID cases, whether it's a ICU capacity or just orthopedic capacity or just keeping keeping. A Yesterday, of a for the first time, the chief of the ICU asked to to all the surgeons to take the patients from the ICU to the floor. Wow. Um, so we would need, we would need more beds at the ICU. On the on the, on that note, I want to take uh, thank you both for taking time um, out of your uh, day to spend a bit of time talking to us about the situation. We will absolutely have you back and uh, chat more about this issue because I think as the world continues to share ideas and learn, um, we're just trying to share and get information out as quickly as we can. Thank you both. Thank you, thank you very much, Mohit. It's been Thank a you. pleasure. Thank you.